see where the confusion came because I am talking about Jacob this morning, not our Jacob, but uh, the Jacob from the Bible, Jacob from Genesis. And uh, I want to start with a story that, you know, I don't really know how to, how to describe it. I guess it's, um, it's sad, but it's also kind of hilarious. And the story I'm talking about is the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 30. And uh, it has to do with some mandrakes. Okay, so if you've forgotten this story, let me remind you how it goes. All right, so Leah and Rachel are there like chilling in the house. And Reuben comes in with some mandrakes he found in the field. And uh, he, he like gives them to Leah. And Rachel leans over. She's like, hey, give me some of your son's mandrakes. And then Leah says, look, you stole my husband. Are you going to steal my son's mandrakes too? And uh, she says, what? And so she says, all right, fine. I will give you Jacob for the night in exchange for the mandrakes. And she's like, all right, deal's a deal. So then Jacob comes in knowing none of this. And uh, Leah, no, no paraphrase here. This is the actual words from the Bible says, uh, you must come into me tonight for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And I'm just like imagining, like, <laughs> It, if this is a, a movie, you know, this is the moment where, where kind of Jacob turns out to the camera and he's like, if you're wondering how I got here, I'm also wondering that. Because, listen, he is like completely out of control in his own house. His wives have sold him like a prostitute to the other wife in exchange for a plant. Like, this is a ridiculous story. But it, it, it brings us to something that is at the very core of the story of Jacob. As I read the story of Jacob, uh, of course, it has important ramifications in the larger story of Genesis and the development of uh, the growth of the seed and the promises of God. But Jacob, as a standalone story, is a story about a man who has a control problem, okay? He needs to have power. He needs to have the things that he wants. And if he doesn't have it, he is going to do what it takes to obtain it. He is uh, not beneath manipulation or uh, you know, power games. He is going to get what he wants. That is the story of Jacob. And so this morning, I simply want to look through the story of Jacob as a story about a man who goes from being um, uh, having a need for control, a need for power, and moving toward becoming a man of faith. So with that, let us begin Jacob's story at the beginning of Jacob's life, and that is in Genesis 30, uh, 25. So in Genesis 25, even at the very beginning of his life, we get a pretty clear picture into the kind of person Jacob is going to be. At his birth, we see in Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. And after his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So they name Jacob, Jacob, because Jacob is a heel grabber. Now this has uh, connotations of being uh, manipulative, of being a, supplant, a supplanter, basically He's a deceiver, and he is gonna, he's going to grab hold of what he wants and, and get it from life. And we see that in the first story of him as an adult, in verse 29 of chapter 25. It says, Once 
when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, they called his name Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, on one hand, I guess Esau did, in fact, agree to this exchange. But you have to agree that a, a bowl of lentil stew and some bread is not at all a fair exchange for a birthright. And yet, Jacob wanted it. He found himself in a situation where he could take it, and he took advantage of his brother, and he took his birthright. Very similarly, we see in chapter 27, uh, we can't read this whole chapter, but effectively, uh, he, does a, he does kind of the same thing. He takes Esau's blessing. Uh, and now this is, of course, kind of at the goading of his mother, but they conspire together against Isaac and against Esau to take the blessing away from Esau. And he kind of sneaks in and he pretends to be Esau and uh, takes what is not rightfully his by use of uh, kind of a cunning trick. And so as we kind of near the end of chapter 27, we see Jacob is two for two in terms of attempting to get what he wants and using uh, not the most ethical methods to get it. But he's a man, he wants what he wants, and he's going to get it, and he is going to reach out, he's going to obtain it. Because here's something you gotta understand about Jacob, and something that's critical to understand about chapter 27 in particular. So at the beginning, even before they're born, uh, Rebecca, who is uh, Jacob and Esau's mother, is told that Jacob it, or Esau is going to serve Jacob, that Jacob is going to be the, the foremost son. He's going to get the blessing. So what happens in chapter 27, that Jacob gets the blessing instead of Esau, is what God intended. However, God did not intend for it to be taken in this way. And this reminds me of an earlier patriarch story, the story of Sarah and Hagar and Abraham. God wanted Abraham and Sarah to have a child. And so they said, look, God's not coming through on his end, so let's just, Abraham, you can have a child with Hagar, and she's my handmaid, so she'll count as me, and we'll have a child that way. And so they get tired of waiting on God. They don't believe God's going to come through for them. And so they say, all right, we're going to have to take matters into our own hands. So they do what it takes to get a child. In the same way, we see here that Rebecca and Jacob choose to take, take matters into their own hands in obtaining the blessing that God was going to give to Jacob. Because, they, like I said, they have a need for control. He wants to have what he wants, and he's going to do what it takes to get that. But, as I said, so far two for two, but this is about to take a turn for the worse for Jacob. Because he is about to have a rude awakening and find that this method of obtaining what you want is not quite as reliable as he might think it is. Because here's the thing about obtaining what you want by force and manipulation, is that when someone comes along who is more forceful or better at manipulation than you, you can no longer get the things that you want. And that's where we find him uh, at the end of this chapter in verse 41. Uh, Genesis 27, 41. Now 
Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Jacob said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Uh, arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? So Jacob got what he wanted. He got the blessing. But in his need for control, he's entered now into a situation in which he is totally not in control. That his brother wants to kill him, and there's not a lot he can do about it. So he, all he has left is to run away, to flee to his mother's homeland. And so he does. He gets up, he leaves everything he's known, and he runs away to Paden Aram. So when he gets to Paden Aram, he meets the girl of his dreams, all right? She's really got two things going for her. One, she's his cousin, which in this story is an advantage, though uh, certainly not in this day and age. The second is that she is very, very attractive. But uh, that's about all she's got going for her. Uh, I will talk more about that uh, another time. But anyway, Rachel, not the best character. But anyway, so he gets there, he meets Rachel, he falls in love with her. He says, that's, that's the one I want. So he goes to Laban. He says, Laban, I want your daughter. What, name your price. And so Laban, Laban is, uh, well, if Jacob learned to manipulate from his mother, I'm assuming Laban got that same sort of training. And Laban has, you know, 70, 80 years on, on Jacob on knowing how to manipulate a situation, plus Laban has what Jacob wants. And Jacob finds himself at a distinct disadvantage because while Laban and Jacob agree that they are going, that Jacob is going to work for seven years to get uh, Laban's daughter, Rachel, Laban has other plans. He sees this as an opportunity, one, to get more labor, two, as an opportunity to sell off more daughters. And so Laban exploits Jacob. He Jacob's Jacob. And when Jacob is trying to marry Rachel, behold, he wakes up. It's Leah. You wonder how much alcohol was involved in that plan. Anyway, so suddenly we find Jacob who had a plan. He, he, was, he was trying to get what he wanted. He, he, was, he was doing what he thought it would take to get what he wanted. And then, behold, that's not what happened. He was outsmarted. And so he gets back with Laban, they make another plan, and he works seven more years to get Rachel. And so already we're starting to see this thing crumbling around Jacob. Because as we said, Jacob, he's a guy. He wants what he wants. He's going to do what it takes to get what he wants. But people around him are taking control of him, are manipulating him in the same way that he manipulated his father and his brother to get what he wanted. And this begins a saga, okay? So, so far, like I said, we've seen Jacob manipulating his father and brother. We've seen Laban manipulating Jacob. We've seen Laban selling off his daughters like livestock, which is kind of uh, coincidental given that their names mean sheep and cow. So, uh, but we're going to begin to see even more that everybody in this story is, is willing to manipulate other people, to use other people to get the things that they want. This begins with Leah. In uh, chapter 29, verse 
30, uh, 32, Leah gives birth to her first son. And it says, Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Behold, the Lord has looked upon my affliction, and now my husband will love me. Uh, if you thought that having children to save your marriage was a new thing, nope. Uh, Leah tried it. Uh, didn't work out so well for her. So she had another child, and then she had a third child. And in verse 34, it says, Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she called his name Levi. So we see Leah trying to gain the affections of her husband by giving him children. Uh, Rachel uses slightly less conventional methods, uh, much more direct in chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. And (laughs) Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? And she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she might give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. Again, we get very strong reminiscence of the Hagar situation back in Genesis 16. That here we have a woman, she wants what she wants, she's tired of waiting, and she's like, here, take my handmaid, it'll work that way. And uh, so she does, and uh, she gives birth to another child, or she gives birth to a, a child through her handmaid, and then the second handmaid's child gives us a very clear insight into what Rachel is thinking. Verses 7 and 8. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again, bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Listen, Rachel is in a competition with her sister about who can put out more babies. Like that, that's really what's happening here. And again, we see they're, they're fighting. They're using children as a manipulative method in this marriage. This is not good. Leah stoops to the same low. She gives uh, Jacob her handmaid, and uh, they have children that way. Then we get to the Mandrake story. Again, we see over and over again in this story that the people around Jacob are using each other. They're using children. They're uh, manipulating each other, trying to vie for control, for love, for the things that they want. They they believe that if they're going to get the things that they want, it's up to them. It's, they, they are the people that are going to have to make it happen. They need the control. They're vying for control. This is what we find in this story over and over again in all of the characters. Now, Jacob is going to begin at this point, uh, though we've got one more story of him really uh, still kind of missing the point. But he's going to begin at this point to realize that he doesn't have the strength in himself to get all the things that he wants. That if, it's, if he's going to obtain blessings, if he is going to get uh, good things from this life, it's not going to be by his own strength. But we have one more story before Jacob learns that, that lesson. And that is later on in chapter 30. So Jacob, after he has his, uh, the, the first son by Rachel, uh, Joseph, he's like, all right, all right. It's time for us to leave. Let's go. So he talks to Laban. He says, hey, I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm ready to start out on my own adventure. And uh, Laban says, no, 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 no. You really should stay here. Because Laban understands Jacob is an amazing worker. And if he loses him, it's not going to be good. 
So begins this little uh, chess match back and forth of each of them kind of trying to get what they want from the other. So we find in verse 27 of chapter 30, But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. So Laban says, Look, name your wages. I will give you what you want. And this is what Jacob says in verse 32. He says, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep, every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. He says, uh, listen, here's, here's what I want. Give me the spotted, speckled, black uh, sheep, lamb, and uh, then if you come and you look at my stuff, my honesty will answer for me, which I think is just hilarious, given uh, honesty, not Jacob's best policy. But um, he says, listen, here's what I want. Give me these kinds of lambs. And uh, that seems like a great request. It seems like a very logical, like very clear uh, black and white distinction, uh, except that Laban uh, is not done manipulating. So Laban, uh, in verse 35 this is what happens. But that night, or sorry, that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban says, ah, so you want the spotted, speckled ones. Well, it just so happens that... Um, I'm giving those to my son. So, you know, now my flock doesn't have any of the ones that you were hoping to get. So sorry, Jacob. But Jacob, he's a smart guy, all right? It's a great opening move for Laban, but Jacob counters back in verses 37 through 43. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white streaks into them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the trough, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped and speckled and spotted, and Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the stripe and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put in his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he did not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So Laban takes away all the stuff that Jacob was hoping to get. But Jacob says, all right, I got a plan. I am going to, and this, I have no idea how this works. Uh, I'm almost certain this has to be providence of God kind of situation. But it is Jacob's theory that if he puts striped things in front of the flocks when they're breeding, that they'll bring forth striped sheep, I guess. So this works. And then he thinks, all right, I don't want none of those weak sheep. So he puts it only in front of the strong sheep. And so in this way, he takes all of the strong sheep and makes them his sheep, and all the weak sheep and makes them Laban's sheep, which is super, super clever and also incredibly deceptive. So 
We don't quite know what happens for the rest of this, I would say about seven year period, uh, that Laban and Jacob are kind of fighting over the flocks. But here's what we learn uh, in verse 7 of chapter 30. We'll read verses 6 and 7, or 31, sorry. Uh, Genesis 31, 6 and 7. As Jacob is about to, is trying to leave, he's talking to his wives and he says, You know that I have served your father with all my might. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. So, we learn a couple of critical things from this. First, Jacob was trying with all of his might. He was working really hard. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to get an honest inheritance. He was trying. He was working really hard. But Laban, as we talked about, Jacob started out as a manipulator. Laban, an even better manipulator. Laban changes his wages ten times. I mean, we know about the, the Leah-Rachel swap. We know about them taking away all the, the black sheep. But here we get at least another seven or eight times that Laban did the same thing to Jacob, that Laban is constantly changing his wages. He's constantly trying to manipulate the situation, trying to take control over Jacob. And so we see this is what Jacob is up against. And this is what really helps him finally recognize, look, there are certain things that I just can't you know, grab by my own power. There are certain things that are out of my control. And that's what he says. Uh, Though your father has cheated me and chased my wages, but God did not permit him to harm me. That ultimately behind all of this was God protecting Jacob. And at the end of uh, 30, verse 43, that Jacob increased greatly. He had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels and donkeys. All of this stuff that Jacob got, he was incredibly blessed. He was able to get so much, an enormous possession. But he says, look, that was not because of me. That was not because of my own power. It was certainly not because of Laban. It was because of God. God was there protecting me. God was there helping me all along. And so we do have one more story that I want to talk about with Jacob, but I would like to now step aside from the story and uh, bring, bring this home to us, okay? Listen, there are so many things in life, so many situations in which it's very tempting to believe that you know, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. That if you, if you really want something, if you really uh, you know, desire you know, a, a strong business or a, you know, a great spouse or a, an amazing uh, whatever, lots of money, a great inheritance, a, a safe, yeah, it's, it's down to you. But you can't trust anybody else and it, it's, it's down to you. And there's a lot of people that feel that way. But listen, we come here at least once, twice a week and we pray to God. We pray to him to protect us. We pray that he will give us prosperity, and we thank him for the goodness that he has given us. We pray for strong marriages. We pray for all of these things. Let me ask you, when it comes down to it, do, do you believe in those prayers? Do you believe in what you're saying when you're thanking God for those things? Or do you, in your heart of hearts, believe that if something good is going to happen to you, it's got to be by your own power? Because I believe that there are a lot of people out there who are uh, functional atheists, you know, kind of this modern kind of deism that, look, God's not really going to help me. That if, if I'm going to succeed, it's got to be me. And they believe it's down to them. And that's, that's where we find Jacob here. 
That Jacob at least acknowledged that uh, there was a God of his father and his grandfather, but he believed for so long that if something good was going to happen to him, he was going to have to wrestle it for himself. That that was his view on life. And I think sometimes we can fall in trap. I think all of us have a, just a little bit of that in us, a little bit of faith failure, just a little bit of self-reliance that is uh, excessive. And yet, I think there are probably a few of us who that really weighs a lot. That that's a really a strong temptation. And if that is you, if you're looking at yourself and saying, listen, I've been relying on myself too much. I've, you know, contribu- I have uh, attributed my success in life to me and my hard work and my grind and the, the things that I am trying to do, the things that I'm doing, it's been me. If that's you, then what you need to do is do like Jacob and look back on your life. Look, I mean, I, I talked about this, this stick thing where he laid the sticks in front of you. Like, the fact that that worked is crazy. And the fact that he thought that would work is crazy. And yet we have those things in our lives, those kinds of chance encounters that turn into amazing relationships, those kinds of, uh, you know, that loan that should not have paid off, but it did, or that person that showed up just in the right time when you were in a jam and helped you. Like, we have these people. We have these situations, these things in life that work when they shouldn't. These things that point us to God, that say, look, it's not me. It's not my own strength. I cannot do this on my own. And that is true not only for gaining success, not only for gaining the things we want, but also for keeping them. Uh, I was reading a book recently uh, by the preacher Andy Stanley. Can't, uh, can't uh, condone all the things that he says. But on this, I think he's spot on. He said, listen, there are a lot of people out there who uh, they come to success through uh, what they would, by their own admission, say is a, a great combination of hard work and providence, that God has helped them, that where they are now is, is a gift of God. But that when we have the difficult task of maintaining success, sometimes we just forget that it was God that helped us bring there. And in those moments, we're tempted to compromise our values. We're tempted to do like Jacob, to seek underhanded methods. And people who start working long hours that they said they would never do and neglecting their family. People who start lying or or bending the truth about what they know that they shouldn't do. They start compromising their integrity. And he says, which is the the thing that really stuck with me in this book, he says, look, there is no reason to to compromise the, the values of God in order to protect what God gave you. If God blessed us with all of these blessings, then why on earth would we think a good way to protect them is to do something underhanded, to compromise the values that we know that we should uphold. And so I think in our lives we have to remember, we have to recall that it is God that is blessing us and that it is only by following God that we will maintain the blessings of God and obtain the blessings of God, that he is ultimately the source of all of our good blessings and that is what Jacob finds. And so with that, we return to our story of Jacob for one last, uh, one last story. And that is Jacob in his encounter with Esau. So Jacob, uh, he flees Laban, and uh, he thinks, oh, you know, I haven't talked to my brother in a, couple, in a while. Uh, he wanted to kill me last time I saw him, but let's reach out to him. So in verse 3 of chapter, 20, uh, chapter 32, 
Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messenger returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Now we'll stop here. Uh, so... This, the rest of this story hinges around the understanding of these 400 men. Either, this is parallel to what Jacob just said, is look, I'm coming to you, God has blessed me immensely. And Esau is saying, look, I've got a great company with me as well. Like, God's blessed me. Or, 400 men is a war company. that They're coming to just totally annihilate Jacob and make good on uh, the vengeance of Esau. And this is the way that, that Jacob takes it. He's terrified. He starts making plans immediately, but then... The most important thing that happens here is in verse 9 through 12. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Two important things happen here. The first is that Jacob recognizes God. I came across this Jordan with nothing, and I'm coming back blessed, and all of that is because of you. That God... All of my blessings are because of you, and I attribute them to you. But also, God, I'm about to be in a sticky situation. And uh, you said you were going to protect me. Here, my brother Esau's coming. I think he's going to try and kill me. God, I'm trusting you. You've, you haven't let me down in the past. Don't let me down now. Protect me. And with that, Jacob gets ready. He starts making preparations. And I think this is really, uh, as we here conclude in the last couple minutes, um, this is the takeaway from Jacob's story, and I think it, it really is summarized well in Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. That he understands that he's going to have to work for the things that he wants. That he's going to have to labor, he's going to have to plan, he's going to have to work hard. And that is a good thing. That is a blessing from God. But also, that unless God is blessing his hard work, it's not going to work. But also the flip side of this is important. It doesn't say, if God is watching the city, then let the watchman take a nap. No, it says that the watchman labors in vain without God. That our work, like, it's important for us to work hard. It's important that Jacob take the time to plan something to protect him from Esau. But he plans it knowing that, that it is God who's on his side. That it is God who's the ultimate source of his success. And so that's a takeaway for us today. That we are going to have to let go of the idea that we can wrangle from this life by our own power all the blessings we want. That if it's up to us, we're fighting a losing game in this life. But if we can trust in God, and we can trust that he will establish the work of our hands, that we can work hard, but also work hard knowing that our blessings come from God and that he is blessing us, that is the key, that is the takeaway from the life of Jacob and what we should go forth in our life with as well. Thank you so much for your kind attention. We'll now be dismissed to class.